Welcome to your Making It Worse. We're here, we're queer, who cares? I'm Elliot Glazer. And I'm Brent Sullivan. And I'm H. Allen Scott. Textual healing. So we have, um, this is actually a very, this is sort of a unique <laughs> treat. One that I'm almost vaguely worried about. My hands are sweating a tiny bit. Uh, we are doing a textual healing. That involved no pretexting. Right. We have no knowledge of what this Elliot is. Elliot is going to tell us a story live that apparently we have never heard before. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's a, I just want to wow. get your real-time reaction. So my friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have other friends? I have a couple, yeah. Uh, my friend, gay man. Wait, do we know this person likes you back? Yes. Do we know them? So we know. You've met him. Okay. You've okay. met him. All right. Uh, he uh, started working at a new job recently. And he was uh, he's he's often in, in our sort of mindset about gay life, you know, whatever. Got it. But he's a great guy. He's volu- a fan of Brent Sullivan. I big agree. fan. Right. He like volunteers for gay Scribe organizations. You know, right. he tries Scott. to like do his best his best his best life, great. as Oprah mm-hmm. would say. Um, so recently, he started a new job, uh-huh. and uh, on his team, like his sort of small team, there's a a decent amount of queer people, guys and girls. LGBTQIA. LGBTQIA. Yeah. Men and women. Men and women mm-hmm. and maybe transgendered people. Sure. Those are men and women too. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. it depends on... Oh, anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so anyway, so he starts this new job and he is... Uh, he, he hears us outside for, of his office. He hears a woman go to another, to another employee. She goes, well, that's offensive. I'm 36. And my friend just kind of is like, oh, I wonder what that conversation. Yeah. What was that about? about? Yeah. So then, uh, this guy who's on his team, the gay, this gay guy, comes over and says to my friend, who I'll call uh, Jason. Okay. Well, let, let's call him. Let's call him Steve. Okay. okay sure. Steve. Steve. It's, his name's not Jason either, but whatever. Okay. Steve. We could do Jason. Do you want to do Jason? Let's do Jason. Yeah, let's do okay. Jason. Okay, Jason. Jason, uh, I'm having my birthday party this weekend, and I'd love you to come. Jason says, oh, okay. He goes, it's going to be amazing. I'm turning 30, and so I'm having a funeral. Oh. So Jason, oh, that's right. So Jason uh, doesn't respond. Jason's 38. <laughs> and the guy, uh, the guy says, yeah, it's going to be amazing. There'll be a coffin. It'll be like I'm turning 30, so it's my gay funeral. Jason um, doesn't, <laughs> just doesn't move. He just nods his head and goes, okay. Okay, and the guy I think pretty, pretty is pretty deft, but I think he could sense there was a, you yeah. know, sort of a a, a staid reaction, and so yeah. he said, "Okay, I'll I'll email you the details." And Jason was like, "Okay, great, great, great." So of course he got the details. He did not go. Uh, but Why? He, because he's thirty eight, and he was insulted by a. 29-year-old man. Oh, you'd go just to see the shit show. Uh. Well, apparently it was a shit show because this gentleman had this party. We don't have to say gentleman. Yeah. <laughs> this 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 uh, guy, <clears throat> he hired, he, he paid to have a casket at his birthday party wow. in a bar or some sort of space. But the guy who... It's kind ra- of baller. The guy who ran the, the funeral home wouldn't let him... 
he it turns out this guy didn't have a way to transport the coffin. Yeah. So he had to pay the guy at the funeral home extra money so that he would drive the coffin in the his hearse. hearse to the birthday party, and then he couldn't leave the coffin alone at the birthday party for fear of it being damaged. So he had to pay this guy extra money to drive a hearse and sit at the bar, sit at the party, and just be there to watch to make sure that. His moment of you know opening the fucking coffin and and you know being was he exhumed. in the coffin? Yes. Okay. <gasps> no. Yes. He was even. In... <laughs> That's why he needed it there to exu- oh. his body to be exhumed. I thought maybe it was for like Kit Kats. I just thought it was like a background like no, joke. No, he yeah. came out of a coffin. He's like, I'm gonna get fucked in a coffin tonight. <laughs> <laughs> no, he came out. Of, he he insisted that imagine? he have so, a coffin you know, so that he. You could... know what. He, Basically, I've we should said, just to point, out to, to point yeah. out to the listeners, just so they know, this is about a 29-year-old man to, basically asserting that by turning 30, this you is are, gay you death. You are dying. Yeah. But the well, real the real question is the the trope of a gay death being 30 years old. I don't even th- – I, I can't even – It is a trope. I, I, it is a trope. It, it is a trope. It's one that I don't hear so much that yeah, – Yeah, I don't hear it I so mean, much anymore. I'm, and I'm very obviously conscious of my age, <laughs> as, as all the listeners have – if you've listened to even one episode, you know that I, I don't love talking about my age. I will say this because this is just what strikes me about this story. I – and I think I've even mentioned this before on the podcast. Sometimes – I meet people all the time – who are try their best to be kind of funny or irreverent or whatever, mm-hmm. and it doesn't work, and yeah. that doesn't phase me at, at all. Uh, especially, I think when people s- see you are a comedian on Tinder, they they usually enter <laughs> yes. dates with sort of this irreverent, and you're like, all right, I can I can roll with this. Tell me a joke. And, yeah. <laughs> sometimes, and then there's then there's jerks. Then I meet people who are just regular jerks, and I just don't like them. And they're sometimes there are people that do something that's so unredeeming and to me, would be so difficult to explain and also flat in delivery that I actually feel bad. Mm. And you, mm. you, you, might, you might not love this. I feel bad for that guy. Because yeah. to me, he's just throwing a bad party with and paying a lot of money for a really goofy prop. See, I get the opposite reaction. I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. And I do feel bad for him. I do. But I also... I love a good party. <laughs> and, you know, I love a good sight gag. And you guys know me. I love doing surprises at parties, like that time on my birthday where I took everyone from the birthday party to the McDonald's for ice cream. Like, <laughs> right, I, I right. love a That's good... That's joyful. That is joyful, yes. But, and I do love... celebratory. I do love a good sort of kitschy party with a theme. Um, that said, yeah, I don't like necessarily the trope that you know, get the gay death is at 30 years old. And I do think that this guy probably could have used maybe an event planner or a comedian yeah, right. to be able to maybe deliver the joke a little bit more strongly. Yeah. Um, but I think if he has the money and he wanted to throw himself a stupid party and he's 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 a reductive gay that he thinks that this is funny. And will probably be embarrassed in two years. Yeah, well, he probably but, will yeah, be yeah. embarrassed in two years. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, I the, hear that. The, the real thing that I was thinking during this is like, like, I have always thought that I should stage my death because, like, you're never going to hear better mm. compliments anywhere other than at your funeral. Yeah. Who are you, Sophia Petrillo? No, yeah. but it's true. It's true. Think about it. Like, people can sing your praises all the time. Like, whatever. They can say nice things, but you never know if it's genuine or not. Whereas if they think you're dead mm-hmm. and then they're saying things about you, that's real. This but is why Sophia- what if you die— and I'm at the funeral, and I'm like, Alan, he was all right. 
<laughs> then everyone at the funeral would be like, why'd you even come? <laughs> I have free booze. No, but honestly, I would love to be able to like, you know, have like a mirror, like one of those like mirror things where you could look a in. A two-way mirror. A two-way yeah. mirror, thank you. And I could just watch like people at my funeral give speeches and stuff and be like, that was so sweet. Yeah. And Surprise! Then, like, and then like move to Boca or something. Oh, you yeah, would actually right. just continue. Oh, the... you just, yeah, you would continue. Well, I'm not going to kill myself. Yeah, but you yeah. wouldn't let them know you're alive. You'd keep. You'd no, stay, they. Quote, unquote, I, I, dead. I, no, so they, you reinvent they... yourself in Boca. Yeah, I would reinvent myself. Amazing. Yeah. Um, what did you think, Elliot? Um, I thought he's a piece of shit, and also, uh, I thought it was a funny precursor to the whole story to hear a woman go, "Well, that's offensive to me because I'm 36." I don't see. Yeah. I don't get the why the people are offended because clearly, if this they they work with this person, they must know that this person is extra and and probably just sad. So like, I looked him why up, are they surprised that he's doing this? Don't even? worry, I looked him up on Instagram, and you're right. He does have under a thousand followers, but pretends he's sponsored by Dove for Men. (laughs) (laughs) So you were right in assuming that. Not even joking. We're here with Ramin Satuda. Hi, Ramin. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for having me. So excited for you to do the podcast. I think, like, as soon as your book, even I, uh, Danny posted about your book or something. Danny Pellegrino. Yeah, past guest of this podcast, friend of the podcast. I got so excited. I like pre-ordered it immediately emailed you to be on the podcast like <laughs> you did I was essential. really excited that you emailed you were like the second person to email me after Danny oh, well, good. Needless well, to of say, course Danny and I are the first needless yes. to say though rarely does uh, an episode go by of this podcast without <laughs> us referencing at least once the view you like to make fun of it this, but you should look at our Instagram DMs and people talk to us about this blew the my view. mind I'm, I didn't I'm know not this. saying I'm not saying you're a monster I'm just saying I'm just giving the people what they want well Ramin you wrote a book called uh, ladies who punch. I did, which is an. Can we say expose about the view? You can say expose. I read it in re- twenty four hours. A, report, a reported expose. <laughs> so I interviewed a lot of people for it. It's not like it's all sort of anonymous. Did you, you get starstruck? You interviewed all the women except for Whoopi and Elizabeth Whoopi right? be, for the book. I interviewed eleven of the co-hosts and the two that that ultimately said Got no it. were Elizabeth and Whoopi. Yeah. And Wait, Whoopi but said, did you, but, "I'm sorry, did you get starstruck seeing anyone?" Not really. I, so I've been a I've done I've been a journalist for 15 years, and sure. in the beginning you do get a little starstruck or, or nervous. Yeah. Um. But ov- eventually, over time, it becomes part of your job, and you're there to have a compelling and interesting conversation. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's like you're looking at the subject as someone you really want to have as an a, open conversation with. Yeah. It's not about. Sure. You know, the fact that they're famous, even yeah, though yeah, I yeah. grew up watching Rosie right. Donald and she was everything. Everything. God. Yes. Right. 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 Yes. When you were and initially uh, Whoopi said she would do the book and then she decided not to when she renewed her contract. <laughs> I so when I told her team that I was doing the book, they were they were like, oh, cool. We'll let her know. And then I saw her and she came over to me and she's like, congratulations on the book. We'll talk. And then. And then I think things changed on the show because she there was a period where she was set on leaving, and she right. was telling all tell. the producers she was tell. leaving. She told Wendy Williams on television yes, she was I watched leaving. That live, ABC was like, "What's going on? What should we do?" And then I think when she looked at sort of what was happening and the fact that you know the View was such a it's a, such a financial safety net for her, um, she decided to stay. Yeah, I've started watching the View again years ago when. Rosie came back because I wanted to see what that looked like the second time. Many people, yeah, watched and then yeah. realized it wasn't the same. Wasn't the same, but then I stayed on because our friend Michelle Collins became a co-host, and I wanted to see that, mm-hmm. and that was an incredible and a feat unto itself. As mm-hmm. Brent always points out, she would be making hilarious 
jokes, and they would just they didn't know what to do with, with her. A thud. She's one of the funniest people I one think of the in the world, in the yeah. world. And, and she just didn't quite connect. It didn't seem with that crowd. Yeah, perhaps. and I think it would have worked if they didn't bring Joy Behar back. Right. I think the problem with Michelle was that she was brought in to be funny, and then they decided at the last minute of that season they needed to bring Joy back because she was yes. one of the fan favorites. Yeah, and then so you have this echo chamber where Michelle was on a different show and Joy was on a different show, and they weren't. They were doing their jokes, and they were almost like it was like almost like they yeah. were on American Idol of, of well, their you know, they were fighting. Is, and Joy they is were a fighting. killer comedian who, if you want up her punchline, you're dead. And like, her comedy is, and and their comedy is similar, but obviously it, it feel it, they're similar in their delivery of punchlines. But Michelle is a little bit more esoteric. She's she obviously is referencing things that are more. Millennial or you yeah. know, younger than 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 Joy's references, but it's you know it's a it's a different thing. You yeah. know, people. Can, can we talk about how like, I, as someone who's watched the show, uh, not a ton, but I have watched it at Elliot's. He's seen request. four episodes. I've seen some. Yeah, the crowd does seem very weird. They seem very particular. Did you spend a lot of time in the audience? The I've been to the show a lot, and yeah. I and I was there as a reporter before I was writing the book, and then I was there a lot when I was writing the book as the, a guest. Like you just would. Go. I was just there in the audience, like oh. season premieres, yeah. or I would you know I would go to interview someone, yeah. and I just sort of VIP sit in the audience. Seats. Or yeah. um, and the, it's they're tourists. Yeah, it's not, I mean they're no different really than any other studio audience uh-huh. but they're you know some are locals they've entered into the you know they entered in they, to win the tickets or they've come in from Jersey to see the show yeah. mm-hmm. and they get up and dance during the commercials and <laughs> cheer and, and but they tend to be a lot more liberal and so they often will cheer for the liberal co-host and not mm-hmm. the conservative and a lot of the conservatives and that's why Megan screams I got one clap. Why does exactly she clap. do that? It's like a high school debate where she's happy that someone agrees with her. I love Megan. I, I mean, You're I'm starting with Megan. To I'm like friends her. with her. Yeah, I, I, was, I was her editor um, at the Daily Beast. Yeah, we yeah. chat on Instagram, and she, she, we're friends. She seems like a lot of fun. Yeah, she was now, a lot okay, of fun. Okay, now this, I have to admit, because I, I didn't, I haven't told Elliot this because I wanted to wait until this moment Uh-oh. to tell him this. But I, I'm the the journalist in me. I like keep track of every record I've ever like texted, everything. Everything mm-hmm. is kept. I keep mm-hmm. archives of everything. And I went back into my texts from like 2006, 7, 8, mm. and we our friendship started by talking about Rosie's return to <laughs> the view. Really? We were texting about. That was like our first wait, conversation. Wait, how did you get that far back? No, because I save it all. It's all saved. Where do you save it though? I keep so at the end of the year, this is ridiculous, but it is very helpful when you're looking for stuff. I keep a PDF record of all of my texts and so like it, oh. it like auto archives in my Dropbox and it saves it to I'm a tech. How do you do person. that? I would love. Yeah, to there's do a that. Pla- there's a there's an app thingy you can use to do that. But I archive wow. everything. Everything is saved in. Can Dropbox. you delete things that you don't want to save, or you save I've it all? I've seen a lot of my dick pics from way back when, and I'm an artist. Yeah, I've seen a lot of your. Dick <laughs> I'm an artist. Too. Yes. Do you, so if I died today, how far would you go back reading my texts? I mean, wistfully? we would go back to 2006. Okay. Yeah. Wow. No, which is I, same I'm for saying, us. But yeah. I'm saying I think you'd get an, a bored and annoyed after three weeks. And you'd be like, oh, no, I'm glad it, he's it's dead. It's really fun to go back into old texts and see. Yeah. We were talking, and that's why I want because I knew mm. our friendship probably started about the view. Yeah, that makes sense. Wow. And but talking about the view, we talked anyway. more about Rosie. And how much, Ramin, did you get into it when you before you were writing the book? Because you did write a big piece about Barbara Walters for Variety, Variety. for Variety when she retired. And was that but, part of the you know or origin idea? I didn't really see it as a book until Rosie came back mm-hmm. because then the second time, the second time because then. 
it really sort of started to feel like a Shakespearean saga with Very the much. queen retiring and the daughters <laughs> fighting over the land yeah. and, you know, everyone wanting ownership of, of the show. And but I, but I did. I'd written about the show a lot. I, re, I wrote when Barbara uh, retired, I spent some time with her. Um, and then when Rosie came back the second time, we I did a cover story on her. But I even wrote about The View when I was at Newsweek when Star left and then started mm. this show on Court TV. I had breakfast with her, yeah. and you know she was talking about how she, you know, why she left and Barbara, and not talking about the gastric bypass. But for the book, all the interviews, <laughs> all the interviews um, are mostly new. So I I went back and re-interviewed everyone yeah. because I didn't want I needed to talk to them about new you, things. The way you describe. I mean, Rosie O'Donnell plays such a pivotal part in your book, but also in the history of The View. Um, and for me, Rosie O'Donnell, I, I think for Elliot, too, probably not so much for Brent, but mm, she no. was, for me, such an inspiration in terms of what I wanted to do with my career. I skipped the last day of like school to watch the premiere of Rosie O'Donnell's show. Like, it was a big deal for me. It was yeah. a big deal for me, too. It was so huge, and it was so impactful. And she's still, to this day, I think, very impactful. And But the way you describe her in the book is so... I mean, you read yeah, it as sort of like a little bit unhinged, a little bit right. eccentric. I read it as sort of like she is an eccentric artist that people really just don't get. And she's difficult because of that. Well, the thing that I think you painted really interestingly in the book is that her queer identity was such a intrinsic part of her original show. Right. Mm -hmm. Like such a big part. But they didn't they wouldn't talk about it. And I flew over my head when you were talking about how she, when Ellen was on, they kept using the term Lebanese as like a code word for lesbian yeah. on the Rosie O'Donnell show. Yes, yeah. and when I, she was a guest, yeah. right? When Ellen was on. Now I and I didn't I missed that. But you know, you were talking in the book a lot about how the producers were like, "It's the gayest." Show. Judy Gold, who's a comedian, was right. a producer on the show and said, "It's the gayest show on TV." This is the Rosie O'Donnell show. Yes. Yeah. And so ultimately, you know, it's so interesting in reading the book and remembering it happening, how her return to TV was. So the return to the view was so different because she was totally out, you know, couldn't be more political, politically liberal. Yeah. I mean, she was a conspiracy theorist like mm. she was so uh, um, extremist in her views and extremist in her positioning. And it really did feel like even then, like a very she was embodying a queer, yeah. a straight space and really bringing like her, her gayness to it in a way that was really different than the view the, the Rosie O'Donnell show that I saw as a kid. What and was sure. it like interviewing her now? So interviewing her now was a process because there was this there was a period where it looked like she was going to talk to me. And then the election went the way that no one thought it would. And Trump was elected mm -hmm. and she went underground and stopped doing interviews and was having a really hard time about it, understandably. And so um, when I saw her, it was about a year and a, some after the election. Um, she is always one of the most interesting people on earth to interview. Yeah. She never holds back. She tells you everything. She answers everything honestly. Um, and it's riveting sitting down with her. Mm -hmm. it's but just, there's some things that she said, in the, I, don't, I didn't write them down, but some stuff in the book that she said that seems like gibberish. Like, some of it was, like, gibberish. The way she was talking about... We talked about this on the podcast, but the way she was making, like, gay... Uh, uh, insinuating that Elizabeth Hasselbeck was... Could have had like lesbo vibes and they had a sex it could have been a sexual relationship but then it wasn't and it was it was like athletes in class it was like she wanted to like nurture her yes. yeah 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 that and we were talking about it in here but it was like it seemed like gibberish i guess i think that the reason i asked her about that is because i had heard from producers that she talked about that a lot backstage and she would say to 
producers and ask them about Elizabeth and talk about her theory, which was that there was the lesbian vibe between the two of them. <sighs> yeah. Um, so it wasn't like this was something that I stumbled into. I knew that this was something that she had discussed and yeah. she wouldn't hold back from when she taught when she was on the show. And in fact, you know, I just asked, I said, Joy had speculated you had a crush on Elizabeth. And then she did her whole monologue about it, which is all in the book. Yeah. Um, and then the stuff about the girl softball team. And I don't think that really made a lot of sense either. I agree with you. But I think that. It was it's an interesting it was an important thing to put in the book because I think it shows it shows what she's like to work with. And it also shows what she's like as a person and the fact that she has these theories and conspiracy theories and beliefs and very strongly believes in them. Mm -hmm. But then I also thought that Elizabeth's reaction was so overblown. Oh, my God. Hilarious. Can I also also ask you before we do that, the her reaction. So can you explain her reaction a little bit? So when Elizabeth went on The View. She seemed really rattled. Mm-hmm. She seemed. She said God 47 times. She said God a thousand times. Yeah. She talked about praying when she read the excerpt from my book, um, where Rosie thought there were some vibes between the two of them. And she took it in a really serious way and elevated it when she talked about the. Um, you know, she talked about it in a language that suggested that she had been harassed or that, that something had happened. Yeah, when in sort fact, of within the confines of sort of like the Me Too movement, if you will. Like we don't. She, I think she framed it in a way that you wouldn't. She if said a if man if, was saying this if about her name a woman, was Ronald, it'd be a different exactly. Thing. And yeah. then using the word grooming, which is also associated with sexual harassment, yes. and that really wasn't what was happening. Rosie was just being really friendly to Elizabeth at first and trying to be her friend, but also giving her yeah. producing notes, which she did with everyone on that show. That's why she and Whoopi didn't get along because Rosie would. Try Try to produce Whoopi. Um, so I was I was surprised. Can you imagine and producing Whoopi? <laughs> no, I can't oh imagine. my god! She All... would tell Whoopi not to wear the um the earpiece, the earpiece. and Whoopi would be like, "How am I supposed huh? to? Do, how how do I know when to go to a That's commercial? If you're not, if I'm not wearing the earpiece." But Rosie was. <laughs> Adamant that the earpiece was making. She Whoopi. hates that earpiece. She even, hates the earpiece. Even with the earpiece, Whoopi seems <laughs> yeah. to hate to know and to go to commercial. Yeah, Whoopi's like, we have to go. I, I tell got... me, I have to go. But Rosie also hates. I rewatched the first. Ep- I rewatched some of the Rosie Donald show. She also hates note cards. On the very first yes. episode of the Rosie Donald show, it's funny because she starts to like criticize the note card person because she can't read the note cards fast enough. Yeah, and then she's like, I'm gonna have to fire you, and she does it in a funny it's way. A, but you can see almost like Donald Trump. That's very strange. Yeah. <laughs> Here's my question. In that. In that scenario in that sense if you so you went back and watched the first episode of the rosie o'donnell show i watched i watched some key episodes of the rosie o'donnell show and i watched a lot of the view but yes do you think that and i and this is i'm just asking from from your perspective and maybe you guys would have an answer for this too do you think that as adults watching the rosie o'donnell show now if you went back you would pick up on the nuances of stuff that would fly over our heads as kids that were her about gayness? her being gay, her being butch, her being aggressive, her being cutting mm. and maybe making jokes about firing somebody. Like, did we miss that because we were See, kids? See, no, but I had, I had friends who knew that Rosie O'Donnell was a lesbian. Yeah, it was a pretty much open it was, secret. It was an open secret. People I didn't talk know. about it all the time. No, you knew because when I watched, I remember there were pictures of her and a girlfriend in the National Enquirer, yeah. and there was all this speculation. There was, even though there wasn't really an internet culture in the way that there is now, there was a National Enquirer culture. There was a celebrity tabloid culture, mm. and she even said to me, the Enquirer got a picture of me with some girlfriends, and I didn't care. Yeah. That was the thing that was so interesting, is that even though she was in the closet, it was almost like she was 
was winking to the people in the know, and she talked about this right. by saying, I want Tom Cruise to you know come over and mow, mow, the, my, lawn. mow my lawn, mow but my it's lawn. not a sexual thing. It's not <laughs> right. a sexual thing. Yeah. I think he's beautiful. Or the, the joke she made about being Lebanese with Alan, right. or yeah. the fact that she had all these Broadway musical numbers and mm-hmm. chorus boys, but was never really... You know, interested in you or know. the fact that she embraced. I mean, one of the things that I took from her, especially at that time, and I actually never, even when she did come out, I never had a problem with. I don't think she was being fake. I don't think she was. I do think she was representing a genuine part of her artistic self in the Rosie O'Donnell show that spoke to the Merv Griffin, Mike Douglas type entertainer that she grew up with loving. It's just that she evolved, and like a lot of artists, look at Lady Gaga. I mean, our artists evolve in different ways that you wouldn't expect, and I think Rosie O'Donnell, we like to make fun of her for evolving in the way she evolved because it happened in front of our eyes and we see her every day and she's like and a friend And in the form of haiku. And in the form of haiku. But even that, she revolutionized blogging. I mean, mm-hmm. she brought, she made blogging a thing. That was but, before Twitter when she was yeah, talking to her fans. Haikus. Which is huge. I, I, I had the RSS feed to that yep, and at work too. I would just refresh it all the time. It was, it's amazing. It was but amazing I watching her talk to her fans. one of the things that Rosie O'Donnell did as a kid, even though, yeah, there's a lot of the subliminal stuff, she would let and she championed kids so much but specifically she championed kids Kids who had a sort of a weird queer element to them. They they liked theater. They liked playing. They liked they liked acting. They liked all these things that in my in my school in St. Louis, Missouri, I wasn't supposed to like. Mm. And the fact that an adult on television was saying you're cool for liking this, yeah. the, the biggest celebrity on television, that was huge. Yeah, that was huge. You're a hundred percent right because when I went back and watched the show, I could see. That the kids that she was bringing on and championing, yeah. a lot of them were gay. Yeah, and yeah, you know, maybe they didn't know it yet, but they they, they their were interests queer were gay. Kids. They were totally queer kids. And yeah. she, you're right. You're absolutely right. I think a lot of gay kids maybe subconsciously saw themselves on that show because totally. she was so excited about our interests. Mm-hmm. But also, 1996. It's 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 hard to remember how different things were oh in 1996. God. There was no Will and Grace. There, there was no, no Ellen. reality. Brent TV. wasn't even was born yet. Ellen. I hadn't been born yet. Yeah. <laughs> He's so young. Yeah. And so I don't think she was dishonest by not coming out. It yeah. was just that it wasn't sure. possible for her to come out because yeah, we didn't have examples of out entertainers in exactly. Hollywood. Do you think that there's a campy element to The View that has some sort of like gay appeal? Yeah, is or, it queer? Or, or, or more than that, like, is that just, did that happen by, uh, um, not coincidence, but did it just kind of, because when I, I'll, let me explain my positioning in that. <laughs> Glenn, I, let's cut the last five minutes. <laughs> I, so when I watched, so my my view, my history of watching The View was, like I said, with uh, Rosie, was with Michelle Collins, and then I stuck with it because after Michelle left, I was literally like, bl- my mind was blown that um, Whoopi at the helm made it feel like a mess a lot of the time where I was just she just, and it's a different retelling in the book because she's clearly become like the mother hen of the show who kind of competed with Barbara for the reins as Barbara was retiring but I still watch a show because I can't believe sometimes that Whoopi can't seem to read the prompter or, or gets mad at the producer for making her cut to commercial which makes us like so to me it's like kind of controlled chaos mm-hmm. and that to me always feels campy and I think that's why I still watch it but I don't watch the talk. I don't watch Wendy Williams. I, I just don't watch any other talk shows because they don't interest me. Right. Is there, a, in covering it and as a watcher, as a viewer, do you think that there is some sort of campiness there or is that just my like very bizarre sense of humor? No, you're 100% right. Did you watch it in the beginning? No. I did. I watched the very first episode. <laughs> so from the very beginning, there was that quality that you described. Yeah. And in fact, when I was selling the book, I had a whole paragraph about how 
gay you know readers would be obsessed with this book and love it and my my agent who's also gay was like just take this out it it doesn't it's not going to make sense to someone who doesn't um, watch the show it came true but it came true it's like on twitter <laughs> thanks to the you know gay readers people lots and lots of people bought this book yeah. but um when they first started the show i remember meredith fiera talking about having a gay friend mm. and she accidentally outed him because i guess he wasn't out to his Wife? his grandparents or yeah. some family member and then she came on the next day and was like I'm so sorry like I accidentally outed my friend but to see someone do that in 1997 mm-hmm. was a big deal the fact that Star Jones had her gay wedding planner the fact that Barbara's and husband gay and, wedding and, and, oh, and husband. I mean her husband <laughs> the fact that Barbara's hairdresser was gay and she would always celebrate him and help set yeah. him up with her, his husband yeah. um, oh I there didn't was, know those things there yeah. was a New York Times article from when the show was starting to take off he was with her for 30 years or so he was her with her forever. Yeah. Uh, Bryant, right? There was Bryant Renfro, um, who was great. Got to get the name on here. And Bryant Renfro. Hi, Bryant, if you're listening, hi. Um, <laughs> and there was a New York Times article early on when I was looking to see sort of what had been written about The View. It was, I think, around 1998, 99, about how it was becoming a phenomenon. And as evidence, they cited the fact that there were drag queens yeah. during Halloween. Get the fuck yeah. out There were of drag here. queens dressed as the view, you know, dressed yeah. as ladies of the view in Halloween, and they were citing that as as a evidence that it had entered yeah. into Hedda the zeitgeist. Hedda Lettuce, I think, did it or something. Was it Hedda Lettuce? I think. I, I think you're right. And yeah. also Tracy Morgan playing yes. star on SNL. Yes. Even though he wasn't a drag queen, he was yeah. a drag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think there was always this um, gay gayness in it in the same way that Sex in the City, those all those heroines were, you know, very ahead of their campy time and can't be yeah. and yeah, love sure. and love their gay friends and you know, were so happy to celebrate them. I think the view had that same quality and yeah. because these were women living in New York, they were ahead of their time mm-hmm. and you know, love to it celebrate. It's the same thing that the Golden Girls does, that you have, you know, women of a certain age and all the hosts except for um probably Star and Debbie at the beginning were considered women of a certain age in terms of they were all in their 40s or up and we desexualize them they're not supposed to have necessarily shocking opinions they're not supposed to talk about sex they're not supposed to talk about these shocking things and the whole conceit of the show is that women are supposed to talk about these things and i think queer people of all stripes not just gay men respond to women not doing what society tells them to do and because women are such a i think we we the patriarchy has sort of screwed women over on so many levels when women do that like they do on the view gay audiences like we saw with rosie like we saw even with oprah even sex in the city wendy all of them we respond in a way because they're not doing what we're told women are supposed to do, and mm. that's awesome. Just like we're not supposed to be out and gay and doing the things that we do, and there's this there's this camaraderie there, and mm. I think that's the queer element to the view. You're 100 percent right. Thank you. You were you just Thank explained you. it in a better way than I probably could have. <laughs> Getting fit and staying healthy always sounds easier said than done, right? Open Fit is bringing you something new that makes it even easier to never miss a sweat session. You can lose the commute to the gym and let the workouts come to you. OpenFit takes all the complexity out of losing weight and getting fit. It's a brand new, super simple streaming service that allows you to work out from the comfort of your living room for as little as 10 minutes a day. Everyone's bodies are different and OpenFit gets that, which is why it's personalized to your needs with custom tailored original content. It has amazing trainers and classes. It's super simple. 600 seconds with celebrity trainer Devin Wiggins packs fat burning, muscle building, and body sculpting. 
Uh, you can access it anywhere at any time, and then literally they are results you can see. You can lose 15 pounds in just the first 30 days. If you know me, you know I am one lazy dude. I do not like leaving the house. I don't even like lifting heavy things. That's why Open Fit is great for me, because I can just sit in my living room, look at my cat, and do a bunch of squats, and my cat's still looking at me weird, but guess what? I'm getting booty, which is why you guys really should check out Open Fit. Open Fit has changed the way I work out, at, and you can use my code YMW. You can join me on my fitness journey and a journey that's personalized just for you. Again, my code is YMW and start using OpenFit for your journey to a healthier life. Right now, during the OpenFit 30-day challenge, our listeners get a special extended 30-day free trial membership to OpenFit, where you can lose up to 15 pounds in 30 days when you text YMW to 303030. You will get full access to OpenFit, all the workouts and nutrition information totally free. Again, just text YMW to 303030. Standard message and data rates apply. The Pat Down with Miss Pat is an exciting new Starburns audio podcast, and we hope you'll give it a listen. Miss Pat was selling drugs and raising kids at 15 years old and is now an absolute killer comic, sharing her unfiltered, unfettered, and unapologetic commentary. She's also a best-selling author whose memoir, Rabbit, was nominated for an NAACP Image Award. So give the Pat Down with Miss Pat a chance by downloading on Apple Podcasts, Himalaya, Spotify, and everywhere you get your podcasts. Do you watch the talk or the chew? <laughs> Do you or... like daytime TV outside of the view? Not in the same way that I like the view. Were you a daytime TV kid? I, when I, I when I was in high school, I'd go home and watch the Rosie Donald yep. show, but I wouldn't watch anything else. And then I would watch the View when I could. Yeah, obviously I, that's I was funny in school, but I was raised as like my mom was like as anti daytime TV as you could get, including she, Oprah. Absolutely, she really? just thought it was all like trash and smut. And uh, and she was a stay at home mom, yeah. uh, which is obviously they're very very busy. But like you you know in theory she could have watched until I was in like seventh grade, and it's weird because like even still I cannot turn on the TV until six o'clock. Oh, the that's... moment six o'clock hits, I can watch TV all night. I love garbage documentaries, <laughs> I love baseball, whatever. But I can't. I don't know touch. what to watch after six o'clock. I know what else. What is there? <laughs> the TV until six six p.m. Honestly, I was such a daytime TV kid. I loved Regis and Kathy Lee, then Kelly. I loved The View, Rosie, Oprah. Oh wait, all of them. <laughs> Speaking of Kelly, the Queen Latifah show, Tyra Banks, all of them. You watched the Queen? Weren't there two iterations? Queen Latifah of Queen? was on for four years. That's crazy. With, wow. And she never spoke about her personal life, did she? Well, she's she was on for four years. No, she was on for like I two. I thought she was like two. But she, she was never on for more than one. <laughs> I think the problem with the Queen Latifah show was that she didn't talk about her personal life. Yeah. And so also Anderson's show, too. So you where, wrote yeah. that in the book, too. Anderson Cooper also didn't talk about himself as being a gay guy on his show. So there is a bizarre level of. They uh, want you to be personal. And he was doing it in 2011. Yeah. It wasn't like he was yeah. doing it that was in the 90s. Weird. It was that, was, that was a very strange. Was just, also, he's just like rich and weird. Like, but, it's just, you can't, you can't relate. Yeah, I, I, I agree. But with yeah. Kelly, this was a fascinating part of the book, too. So <laughs> Kelly Ripa. Kelly Ripa. I don't oh, know if you remember this brand. So good. So it was when Rosie was on the show, the, on The View the first time. Right, 2006. 2006. I've seen this online. Yeah, this, this moment, this strange moment where... On Regis and Kelly, I guess Clay Aiken, who was still in the closet at that point, 
put his hand over Kelly's mouth as like a bit. He was acting weird. It wasn't it a wasn't, bit. He was just acting weird. weird. Yeah. Was I think he was just trying to be funny and it wasn't yeah. funny. It I wasn't think, funny. It yeah. was weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't yeah, read. Yeah, he's not a monster. He However, just... she she says like, honey, I don't know where those hands have been. Which is like, yeah, that's the joke you make when somebody puts their hands on your mouth. And it's like, don't do that, you know? Rosie got so angry. The next day on The View. The same day. It was the same It was like the next Monday or Tuesday. It was a few days later, yeah. That she called her out and called her a homophobe. Right. Which, but where, but in uh, the book, by in doing so, you describe it, what well, happened behind all of that. Well, yeah, I mean, I just want to say by doing so, she therefore outed Clay, who was, who was <laughs> in, in theory, the closet. Still in the he closet. was like, yeah. and then he was fucked. And in your book, you write about it. He was like, well, fuck, you just, you outed me. Like, you outed me with well, he your wasn't weird... Ang- is he angry at Rosie? I don't he think... He wasn't angry at no. Rosie, but when Rosie said that Kelly Ripa was being homophobic, she was letting the world know that Cle- she knew yeah. that Clay Aiken was gay. Yeah. And Clay Aiken hadn't come out really right. to anyone, and Rosie, there's a scene in the book where Rosie... So Clay goes on The View a few weeks before he went on Kelly's show, and Rosie calls right. him into her dressing room, and just flat out says it. You need to yeah. find yourself a boyfriend. You need to get away from Hollywood. You need to figure it out. And Clay run for Congress. And Clay's like, "Well, you're being very presumptuous." This is before that. You're being very <laughs> presumptuous. And Rosie's like, "I know, I know. You know, come on, who you are." Right. And and yeah. he, you know, she, they had this moment, and it was wonderful. And he came out to her. And but then for her then to do that a few weeks later, he was completely horrified. Mm-hmm. He's not upset at her, but it was a hard thing for him to go through. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, you know what's interesting? I still remember right out of high school, I had one friend who once uh, he's like a, he was like a kind of a buddy. Maybe we hung out like twice outside of school, and he was like, uh, once we graduated, he's like, you should come out of the closet now. And I have obviously hadn't come out to him, and I hated him for it because I felt like he was. It was just this really. I'm not saying I'm right. It was just this really uncomfortable, like, I'd already come out to some other friends, so I knew I was gay, but it was so weird that someone else was telling me, I know you're gay. It was Mm. almost like, kind of like condescending in a weird way. And I still kind of hate him for it. Yeah, you're that the clay. Is, he, was, he was being perfectly nice and reasonable. I think that's how, but on like, Will and Grace, that's how Sean Hayes deals with Will, is that he says he's gay, and that's how Will comes out. I think that exact situation happens. Uh, it's like, we're going to be friends, and you're gay. And Will's like, I'm not gay. I'm not saying everyone should be yeah. angry. I just I just remember, maybe I, I maybe take more pride in like holding my cards close to my chest. Like Whoopi. Uh, yeah, the biggest, <laughs> my biggest, uh, the biggest, uh, uh, um, Secret in the book for me, the big, the splashiest piece of information that blew my mind more than anything else was the fact that there is, there exists a documentary about Rosie O'Donnell producing the musical Taboo, <laughs> yes. which bombed so poorly, so badly. I saw it. The documentary. You saw the documentary? Or no, I saw the. No, no taboo. one's the documentary. Did you see the documentary? Yeah. No one's seen the documentary. Where she is just it? described it to me. It was one of those self-finance things, I think, where she had it done for herself, oh my and then God. when yeah. Taboo imploded, she probably put it in. The I didn't somewhere. think the musical was so bad. Oh, you saw it? Yes. All I remember is like I have in my head, I have a a, a sort of amalgam of images of both Rosie and Boy George and the actor as Boy George with the paint on his head and they all have become one person so I imagine Rosie with a shaved head with like the paint coming down her face and it's a it's a nightmare I mean it really is a nightmare it, just in my head for me how long me. was it on Broadway? it was like three months it was like around then but then they all sued each other yes oh fun yeah. I want that documentary well, so okay bad. so one of the things that I shifting off the view for a moment and talking about gay media and journalism you've been a journalist for how long 15 years for 15 
15 years. Yeah. And, you know, you have got some notoriety sometimes with some of the things that you've written, just like I think a lot of gay writers do, especially if you are provocative in how you write sometimes. And, I mean, I've gotten it before. It's It's... Hard, and one of the incidents was an article about Sean Hayes a couple right. years ago, playing a straight character in a Broadway show with Kristen Chenoweth. What was the show? Promises, promises. Thank you. Um, and and it got some backlash. Now I think your responses to it was really interesting. But would you talk a little bit about sort of the backlash and like what you think about it now, years later? And... Sure. So this is an article that I wrote in 2010. Yeah. So it's almost 10 years ago. Um, I was 27 at the time. I was working for Newsweek. And it was a time in sort of journalism and news magazines where things that we were doing weren't working. I was always pr primarily a reporter. And then they wanted everyone to be more opinionated and try to have these controversial opinions or counterintuitive opinions. And I think... The, the, the piece, I don't think the piece was successful. I don't think it worked. I think it confused a lot of people. And I haven't recently reread it. But if I could take it back, I'm saying this, I think, for the first time. If I could take it back, I would. Mm. Because I don't think it was executed in a way that is really true to the writer that I am or the writer that I've become. But I think the reason why there was a lot of confusion about it was, first of all, people thought that I was a straight writer writing about gay issues in this did, way did that was homophobic. Did we clarify what, what it was about No, let yet? me tell you what the article was about. Sorry. So it was about how Sean Hayes is playing a straight man and promises promises and he falls in love with Christian Chenoweth. And I was questioning why as an audience member I was having trouble believing that. Mm. But I think the conclusion I was trying to make was that Hollywood is, Hollywood is so fucked up that not only can gay actors usually not play straight men, but that gay actors can't even play gay characters. Like I was trying to sort of figure yeah. out what like our own perceptions about sexuality and sexual orientation and um, gayness and what was happening and I was you know using a lot of different examples and so there was a ton of backlash. Kristen Chenoweth said I was homophobic. Sean Hayes was upset. Glad was upset. But I will say in the last um, decade or so, I have written a lot of you know different stories. I've you know profiled Laverne Cox. We mm -hmm. you know recently did a transgender actor roundtable. Um, uh, I've written you know about a lot of out yeah. You've done great actors work, actors, and you know yeah. and you know, well, recently. The times have changed. So would you say that you're a homophobe? That's, that's yeah. what we're trying to <laughs> the find answer out. to that question is no. But, <laughs> but I'm glad you're asking me about it because it, it really it's one of those things that hasn't come up in a while. But you know for anyone that read that piece, if people still remember it. I will say that I don't think it was a successful piece, and if I, yeah. it, you know, if I could go back in time, I wouldn't have written it. But again, it was sometimes as a writer, you do something yeah. and it doesn't yeah. successfully work. Yeah. Oh, and, and it, it wasn't it, really in the right voice. Like that's not who I am, and that's not yeah. my voice. And also, magazine articles are very heavily edited, and things yes. were moved around, and so editors it, it's put not, some stuff in. It's yeah. not true to who I am, and so yeah. it was, um, it was, it was a difficult thing to go through that and have everyone being really upset at me and me mm -hmm. feeling like I hadn't really done it in the right yeah. way and I think it speaks to and I, I, I love everything you just said but I think it also speaks to as a writer that you know oftentimes we're so quick to have outrage and sometimes rightfully so about stuff that we read online and things that we see online but we don't know the full picture clearly and we don't know where things are going and a lot of times too opinions 
it, that is not just the one opinion that that you're. I mean, I'm sure people who saw Promises Promises loved Sean Hayes in that show, and they right. were able to convincingly yeah, see maybe. him play. But also, some people <laughs> probably fucking hated Sean Hayes in that show and couldn't get his character from Will and Grace out of their mind. And that does not mean they're homophobic. It just right. means that they appreciate something that this actor had done previously. Him being gay or not, but he is identified really as this character. But he also took a long time to come out. He did. And I, I just think as a gay writer, it's interesting where we've come that like even now, you know, we want to say things like with Pete uh, Buttigieg running and some of the things happening and things being written about him from queer people. It's we don't necessarily know how to even communicate about this without getting a lot of backlash because if you qu question him in any way, you're a homophobe, even if you're gay. Well, let me ask you, Ramin, do you think that things have gotten... <laughs> do you think that this, the culture, the like cultural atmosphere has gotten... Crazier? Crazier <laughs> in which this would have a... Like, view, like in 2019, that the outrage about the article... Or an idea like that, even though obviously you don't feel the same way or you've evolved past that. But, like, do you think that because the culture has gotten so uh, fiery and even more reactionary that it would that it would be a different – that you'd find a different reaction from you, – You would get a worse Twitter reaction. Twitter sphere and – yeah. It's, that's an interesting question. I was actually thinking about that a few months ago. I, I don't know because I'm not – I don't write that way anymore. Sure. That, the other thing that's so interesting was back then when you were writing for print, you only had, what, seven print. or eight hundred words. Right, and you yeah. only And I, there's no way I would write that piece in that – there's nothing about that piece that is similar to how I am as a writer now. Yeah. So I don't – I don't know – if the reaction would be bigger or smaller, because I also do think we live in a time now where there's so much outrage all the time that you're mm -hmm. outraged and then you move on. Mm -hmm. And I remember that there was like a sustained period of weeks where Ryan Murphy was like calling oh, for the boycott, boycott of Newsweek, Newsweek and Glad right. was really upset <laughs> oh and he invited me to the set of Glee and then Ryan, he never followed up. And, and so there was, you know, there was yeah. this whole period where like I remember feeling, like I remember going to Fire Island, which was a huge mistake, the week after the article came out. And in general, um, it's pretty much a huge yeah, mistake. Yeah. And there was there was um, uh, an older gentleman who was talking to my friend, and he was like, "What does your friend do?" And my friend was like, "He works at Newsweek." And he's like, "Oh my god, that place is so homophobic." They wrote this article, and I was like, "Oh, oh god, wow. oh, like no. let's walk away. Let's not tell him that I was the one who wrote that article." Yeah. But but I don't know is yeah. the answer. But yeah. um, but I think that I think the other question I have when I sort of look back and think about it is, there still aren't that many out gay actors that are movie stars. Yes. And I wonder why that is. And yeah, my hope would be question. my hope would be that more actors who come out are allowed to star in movies mm -hmm. and well, can be like someone today uh, there was a post on Instagram, Evan uh, something that he said it's uh Jonathan Gruff. Is that am I yes. yeah, yeah. Yes. that it's is it weird that it's easier to watch him play a straight man giving cunnilingus, cunnilingus to a woman on the show and that's more believable than him playing a gay character? And like, mm. I thought that was a really interesting post because it's like, I don't necessarily think that way about him, but it is interesting that like this this one gay actor is able to now convincingly cross barriers and like he's play these roles. He's been for a long time. Yeah, he has. And he's... I would. I mean, I've said this before, and I'm happy to go on record to say it again. If John Travolta came out of the closet from whatever he is, 
and whatever, you know, stepped off his spaceship for a second and came out of the closet, I think his career would skyrocket. You think? I think mm, if he came I out now so. at his age. I totally disagree. You don't I think so? Disagree. I feel no. like he'd be so embraced. I don't think people care that he's gay. I think people care that he's just weird. But I, <laughs> <laughs> Your face. I do think I do think that there's a world in which the in which the way that people want to be so um, the outrage is so strong that people want to be seen as so uh, charitable, thoughtful, liberal, progressive that if he came out, I think I do think that there would be a groundswell of support. Not from Leah Remini. But that people saying like he's standing in his truth, he's being real, he's being open, and I th- I, yeah, I but, feel like it would I feel like it would work in his people, favor. But yeah, I mean, but that's everyone liking his tweet about it. Will people actually go to a movie? Who's been to a Don Travolta movie in the past 30 years, though? Well, the other problem is, uh, sorry not to drag this out, but the other problem is so much of the movie business is dependent on China. Yes. And, you know, Asia and other places where they may not be as tolerant of LGBTQ rights. And so I think that also has contributed to the fact as to why there aren't more out movie stars. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And why there aren't gay Marvel superheroes. Because Hollywood is so reliant on movies doing business worldwide. Well, I was going to say we should see a a fully gay cast or a fully trans cast of The Expendables. I, don't, I had to think for a second, what's The Expendables? <laughs> I want to see fully gay, trans, LGBTQ cast of The Expendables. Could no I Sylvester, play Sylvester Stallone. Stallone? I want to play Sylvester no Stallone's character, though. Just, Just all like, trans. Bang, for a bang, second, bang. I thought you meant The Incredibles. And I was like, I know, oh, interesting. I thought that, too. Pixar, we're not Pixar a movie should, podcast. Pixar should do that. Yeah, we're Ramen, definitely not a movie. Thank you so much for being here. Where can people find you? And where can they find the book? Thank you very much for having me. So I'm on Twitter as Ramin Satuta and Instagram, and you can find the book on Amazon starting today. They ran out, but they have more copies oh, now. And, congratulations. And in Barnes & Noble stores and other bookstores. Buy it, buy it, buy it. It's buy so it, good. Buy it, it's such so a fun good. read. I read it in 24 hours. Thank you so much. Thanks for being here. <laughs> Thanks, guys. And another thing. Jamie Wu wrote an, uh, a piece for The Advocate called uh, Is Grinder Boring, which is a part of a larger conversation that we've had in here about the, you know, the pervasiveness of Grinder. But he had a really interesting point. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a dude, but um, <laughs> I'm assuming it's a guy. Um, person. A person. But he was talking about how Grindr uh, is boring in the sense that, like Twitter or Instagram, we use it because it's there. We use it because we get bored. And I would I, say that's true. I would say that's true, too. And I was even talking to somebody recently about how the idea or talking about the fact that sometimes I'll close an app and reopen it. Instantly. Instantly. It's yeah. insane. I do and that with Instagram. Isn't that – that's what I mean. With, I do yeah. that with Instagram. And sometimes I can't believe I just I, did that. I, I have I have so few apps on my phone that I don't have that many things to choose I'll from. I'll unlock them for you. <laughs> I don't have that many things to choose from. I actually need you to lock some for me. Uh, <laughs> but, like, I'll do the same thing where I'll, I'll open Instagram and I'll close it. And then reopen and it. And then I'll reopen it again. It's pretty astounding. Yeah. And that, that of course, speaks and, to, like, the, the you know, the, the, the technological addiction of it all. Yeah. But Jamie was making a point in this article about the idea that, um, you know, when Grindr started, it, it had, obviously, it was a very new idea for, for gay guys. It's a... A, a mapping out of like where you can yeah. initially I think they said at Grinder they wanted to like connect people it was a mobile manhunt R- but it, the, initially they wanted to be more of a 
connection, not necessarily seen as a hookup app. I think that's bullshit. But well, I think yeah. so too. But nevertheless, obviously, yeah. it, it is what it became. It and, was about camaraderie, Elliot. <laughs> we well, to lift up the community. <laughs> yeah, right. He talks about how um, the, you know the, it had bad press, and then it was became sensational for their stories of crime around Grinder and hookups. But then there was the movement toward equality and kinder yeah. that yeah. that you know that that attempt to make Grinder more um, you know friendly yeah. for right. to yeah, yeah, combat yeah. against the racism. Anyway, the point being <laughs> the, the virulent racism and hatred on Grinder. Anyway, he says as as it attempted to normalize, an interesting thing happened. The world around it became more like Grinder. Grinder made cruising available anywhere and at any time, being mm-hmm. about you know being open about looking for sex. Um, that became more comfortable and no longer novel in our world with Tinder and with Tumblr mm-hmm. or the porn on Tumblr and Twitter and. Craigslist and thirst trap Instagram, and so you know the point. You know his main point is like, what is Grinder boring now? Because the world, in its own weird way, technology that we use all the time became more hypersexual. Yes, yeah, I do think so. I mean, I think in a lot of ways, like you look at Instagram and the language of Instagram, or even the sort of the language that we use around Instagram by saying, oh, he slid into your DMs or, you know, there's even like the little characters things, the little pictures that you can put on your stories that say like send nudes mm-hmm. or there's yeah. like, I mean, there's... It's the, so sexual. It's so sexual and it's the language that I think started primarily with Grindr um, and it became universal even in the straight world. Well, I was going to say, remember, remember how everybody was making fun... Well, uh, adults were making fun of Snapchat because yeah. we didn't... Under, I still don't use it, but yeah. I understand. You recently signed up for it. I got a notification. Oh, God. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm deleting it. I just wanted to see what it looked like. Oh, Elliot. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so nice. I love it's it. Not There's probably 10,000 new pictures of Elliot's dong <laughs> all around L.A. The, but the point being that Snapchat, and, <laughs> Snapchat I, I remember hearing everyone say it's a way for teenagers to send naked pictures of themselves. Which is true, I think, in some level. And it's expanded more to original content, and it's yeah. Instagram has followed suit in doing a lot of Snapchat. Snapchat style it's features. Still a lot of nudes. But yeah. but that being said, it's like that sounded crazy. The idea that oh my god, teenagers are sending themselves, sending each other nude pictures of themselves on this app, and they screenshot or they delete them or whatever. And it's like, wow, that's like hypersexual in the same way that Grinder is. That's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I don't necessarily think. I mean, I think Grinder hit at the right moment, but there is something within the culture. I mean, you look at our generation and us watching porn and chatting on AOL and sending yeah. pictures and all the back and forth that existed even in our childhoods, that the internet in general brought this sort of mass sexual communication yes. to our yeah. home computers and then to our phones. And it's so it's I don't necessarily think it's all on Grinder, even though Grinder no. did do something to really push it. Yeah. He even said but the, uh, Jamie, the author, said to only use Grinder to solicit hookups now feels quaint. Yeah, I mean, I. I mean, I met Michael on Instagram. It was uh, back and forth on Instagram. And remember how silly a couple of those. Remember how silly that enough. used to be, or or how taboo it how was. How embarrassing it was how to be like. We was. met on Grinder. We, we met, met on Instagram. Or even we met on. Any, oh, we yeah. met on anything. We, we, we yeah. met on plenty Tinder, of fish or whatever. Cupid. It was a badge of shame. It and wasn't. Now, I mean, I don't it still think it, is to some people. I don't some think people it is will, anymore. No, I don't think it is within gay cult, gay circles. I think in straight circles it is. Yes. I don't think it that, is. That's what I think. I think it's all. I think it's all been leveled. Overwhelming majority obviously are fine with it but like I think a lot of people 
there's still a couple people out there. I feel like I came across someone in the last year who was like, we don't tell people we met on whatever, really? okay Cupid or something. It was, it was bizarre. <laughs> I, that's Privilege. Certainly, that's okay certainly the minority. Privilege like, alert. I mean, we had a neighbor who met his wife on the internet, I think in the mid to late 90s. Yeah. Mm. And they were humiliated. Really? They didn't tell anyone. Oh. Like somehow we found out. And it is. It's kind of strange to think now. Yeah. Would you tell people? So I guess, would you tell people you met during an orgy? Uh, like well, if you met someone during an orgy, why are you asking me if I <laughs> look how well, offended he immediately I know, is? I know, so, he got so defensive. Uh, out of the, Elliot, out of the hundreds but now of orgies he has to that answer. You've had, he has to answer. Well, no, I, I, I only mean like the internet used to be kind of viewed as like this, basically this bucket for porn. Like in the mm. '90s, I think people yeah. thought of the internet as and like Tumblr this, now. Oh, yeah, well, was. I mean, but yeah. think in the '90s now it was back Twitter. when like the internet was like the the wild west. Sure. And and my parents literally thought of the internet as like just AOL and porn. And your parents still until, to this day like, use AOL. AOL. <laughs> so I think it, it's to say, my my comparison is: Would you be embarrassed if you met someone somewhere that is quote let's illicit? Say, yeah, let's say like a se- you're at a sex party. <laughs> would you be? Why don't you ask Brent or let Brent well, ask I can't you? Answer. Why is he being so defensive? I know. This I mean, is, this is just a question this to is answer. So weird. Um, but now, now Elliot has to answer. Elliot, now you have to answer. You're me. making an issue of it, so we're going to point on you now, <laughs> Elliot. Would you be embarrassed to say you met a person you then had wound up marrying at a sex party? Yes, you would. Yeah, be. absolutely. And what lie would you yeah. say? <laughs> no, uh, I don't know. Well, a long time ago, I met a guy. I met a guy that I dated on Craigslist, and so we met at a comic book store. <laughs> a comic book store? Is that from Meg Ryan movie you want to be in? God, that is so. Funny. Yeah, we met at a. Yeah, comic you actually book had a store. lot of success on Craigslist. Yeah, I mean, not... <laughs> I never, I've never felt the pang of embarrassment when it comes to saying where I met somebody. That never, yeah. even in straight world, saying that I met someone on Grinder, it never, never ever. No, it never really embarrassed me because I think in some way, and I think this is different for gay people, but there is a level of sort of like. We're gay, and this is what we do. And you know what? We revolutionized AOL and turned it into a communication platform for people to connect and actually yeah. reach different types of people that are like you. And straight people, you better catch up. For sure. With that said, if I met someone on Grinder, I would tell my parents we met on the internet. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think parents are different, but that's a different conversation. It's not like a like I'm talking about like someone casually sure. you are at a party with your parents. I don't know. I mean, that that's a that's a more intimate conversation. Yeah. Well, you know, it's not as casual. We can have that conversation. It's a podcast. <laughs> no, no, but what I'm saying is like like it's a different scenario. Principally, it's not the same of as course. you like, you know, in the scenario of the sex party. Right. Yeah, and then going to your parents and being like, "We met on a sex app." Yeah, yeah. yeah. I saw his nipples before I saw. <laughs> yeah, his face. exactly. Right, no, right. but I mean, I told that's my mom. I told my mom we met on we met on Instagram, and my mom was yeah. like, "Oh, that's great," because she didn't understand how we ever because yeah. he was in a different part of the country, and like, how does that work? Right. Like, she didn't yeah. understand that. So, well, I'll end by I'll end on this note uh, that in the article he wrote in a recent survey, Grindr landed at number one for apps that make respondents feel most unhappy. Yeah. 77% reported that the app left them with regret. So let that be a lesson to you that it's time to try. Oddly, it's still one of the highest downloaded apps ever. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a real it's a real sadomasochistic thing. People do it like I do. They they delete it and download it four more times that day. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. 
What would your aunt say? Brent, what would your aunt say about something she heard on today's podcast? It sounds like your friend Elliot's been to a lot of orgies. <laughs> uh, my aunt Joanne would say, why does Brent always talk about you being unhinged? What does that mean? How many oh, orgies have you been to? If she wants to send me a message, I could explain it in I didn't depth. even bother to do her voice. Sexually unhinged. Uh, Alan, what would your aunt say? My aunt Anne would say, I love the view, but I wish I could take a little time to find a better view. My house... <laughs> Backyard sucks. (laughs) Does she watch The View? Yes, she does. That's great. Everyone watches The View. Mm. Thanks for listening. I'm Elliot Glazer. I'm Brent Sullivan. And I'm Barbara Wattles. Podcast Network. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts.